This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you're trying to improve your golf game, Callaway knows you can't hit the ball further by doing the same old thing. It takes unconventional thinking to transform your game, and that's what Callaway did with the new Maverick Driver. Maverick drivers were designed using advanced AI. Callaway's supercomputer tested and refined thousands of virtual prototypes until it created Callaway's fastest, most forgiving driver. New distance is out there. It takes a Maverick to find it. Explore Maverick drivers at callawaygolf.ca. International travel restrictions and stay-at-home orders have decimated the freedom of movement the global tourism industry relies on, leaving travelers with nowhere to go and tourism operators with no one to serve. The sector is worth an estimated $8 trillion around the world. But will it bounce back to pre-pandemic levels? And what will it look like when all this is over? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, we're joined by Bruce Poontip, founder of Toronto-based travel company G-Adventures. He joined me to discuss how COVID-19 has affected his business and how he believes the travel industry should evolve once people are allowed to move around again. Can you tell me a little bit about G-Adventures and what it was like pre-pandemic for people that might not be familiar with the company? You know, how many employees do you have? What kind of revenue do you make? How, how big is this a company? Well, we're the largest small group adventure company in the world. So um, we were taking over 250,000 passengers a year, over 2,500 employees in 100 countries. And yeah, over like $700 million revenue in terms of size. So we're, I guess, small in terms of, um, you know, big business terms. But in terms of our sector of uh, small group adventure holiday companies, uh, we're an international company where people from 160 countries book trips with us every year. And adventure travel, what, what is that exactly? Well, we've redefined that over the last 30 years. I mean, we originally started with, you know, just active, you know, active um, by destination going to some far flung areas, but we have 11 different brands of tours. We've also acquired different brands um, over in the UK and Europe. Now it's group travel and we have all kinds from expedition cruising to Antarctica, the Galapagos Islands, to small group adventures, to active, to family. We have a relationship with National Geographic where we offer National Geographic journeys. Um, we have an 18 to 30 something program for younger people, local living, which we do. So we, we have all kinds of interesting trips that really are defined by our social enterprise model, where we give back to local communities, create community projects, create poverty alleviation where, when people travel. But in general, um, they're act, some of them are more active than others because we have an active series. And then some of them are just adventurous by destination. Meaning when you go, when you go to Mongolia, you don't have to be active to be adventurous. Mongolia is an adventure. Very true. Now, obviously, the coronavirus pandemic has changed the travel industry as we know it. When did you first realize that COVID-19 was going to have a big impact on your business? Wow. I mean, that's a very good question. I mean, the the, the big meeting that we had uh, was March 13th, where, you know, and, and I, I will tell you, March 12th, I didn't think it was going to, to, to escalate the way it did. I mean, that's when we had our first decision to actually cancel departures because we were getting feedback that, you know, our tour, we weren't being, we weren't allowed being able to deliver the experience to our customers on the ground because other countries were closing, like particularly a group in Japan where reports were coming back, where we had groups that couldn't get into museums or attractions or restaurants. 
Um, so we weren't able to deliver the service our customers were expecting. Um, and so on March 13th, we took the decision to cancel trips just until the end of May. Uh, April. That was a huge decision for us, but we took it just on the, because we actually didn't think it was going to escalate. We actually took the decision based on just customer experience, like that we have to deliver amazing experiences for our customers. We thought we were doing the right thing. But by Wednesday, the following week, like which is, would have been the 18th, um, we had gone from a, a, you know, a phase one kind of critical incident management kind of phase to phase five, which was you know, reshaping our business uh, for the for the for the future, you know, and survival mode, really, because business went to zero and cancellations started to escalate. And it just happened so quickly. It, it is remarkable how quickly that happened. What what sort of impacts did you see? You know, is it business went to zero completely? Tell me a bit more about what's been going on with your employees and the people who had booked your trips. Well, I mean, business has never really actually gone to zero, but, you know, we we weren't running trips for the foreseeable future. Like we originally canceled till the end of April and then the end of May. People are, have been still booking trips with us for the long term, for long term, because people who do our style of trips generally do plan much further out than other types of travel. But for us, I mean, we've, we we had to right size the company to what we, we would anticipate what we're going to look like on the other side, um, because we knew business wasn't going to come back you know, immediately, you know, when we first started making decisions, we thought, okay, well, this is a downturn between, you know, of 30 days or 60 days or 90 days and any company can withstand that. But when we started talking about four months, six months, eight months, 10 months, a year, at one point, it's two years. At one point, the, the head of the uh, World Health Organization said it's four years. Um, so we couldn't anticipate, especially when we were free falling into this pandemic, it was hard to, to look up when we didn't know where we were going to land. So we made a, you know, we made different assumptions, you know, anticip- we anticipated at different points when we thought, well, what is our gonna, business going to be like on the other side? Because we were actually just putting the company into hibernation mode. Um, and now we're hibernating, waiting for when people want to travel again. Um, so it was, it was a really fluid, you know, highly escalated, excuse me, escalated situation. But um, we did the best to anticipate when, when we knew information and information was changing at one point hourly. I mean, it's just been so crazy to see the speed of developments throughout this pandemic. One of the travel-related issues we have heard from consumers during this time is about refunds. There's been a lot of contention in the airline space over whether travel vouchers are good enough, whether that's okay. I'm wondering what's G-Adventure's stance on that refund versus travel vouchers debate? Well, the complication for us is that, you know, when someone leaves a deposit, makes a commitment that they're going to travel with us, you know, we start spending money. So people are, you know, wanting us to create these amazing experiences around the world to, you know, far flung communities. And the minute someone leaves a deposit, we start preparing for them to arrive, whether it's a year in advance or six months in advance. And that's by leaving deposits on accommodations, booking transportation needed, entry fees, tickets, because people want to get into certain museums or tourist attractions at certain times. We start buying tickets, permits for the Inca Trail or permits permits for different things that we need. Local air flights, like when you need local flights, we pay months in advance for local air flights. When we actually don't even have full payment, you've actually just left a deposit. So within the travel industry, there's this circular economy that goes on where you commit to coming on a trip and we start spending money to get ready for you to take that trip. Um, so it's a very complicated situation, but no one could have anticipated that the planet one day would just shut down. I mean, even when it was happening, I kept saying, there's no way that people can just shut down countries and then there's no way you can just shut down airlines and then you, there's no way you can just shut down borders and, and it just happened. The world shut down. 
And so it's put a stop. And when we've kind of put out, so it's not as easy as someone's, you know, saying, I need a refund. I want my money back. When, you know, even, you know, travelers that booked through a travel agent, um, we have arrangements with a lot of those travel agency partners to pay us after departure. So you want a refund, but we don't actually have it. We have to negotiate with, you know, our travel partners to get that money back. So it's a super complicated issue. And the best, and, and we're all facing it because we want to have a travel industry on the other side of this. And we're all facing like how to do it. And the best solution is travel credits that, you know, that your money is safe and, you know, um, certain governments will ensure that your, your, your money, given if that company actually goes out of business, but if the company does stay in business, you just book your, the trip that you wanted at a later date. And I know that's, there's, it's, that some people aren't happy with that. A vast majority are, and there's a few very loud, a vocal minority of people that want their money back. So we're looking through those cases individually now because we, we couldn't do it in the last 60 days of, you know, where, while we were in survival mode. So there's a lot of kindness needed on both sides of this issue. And it's, it's very heated. Um, and it's one of those arguments where, you know, I don't have to be uh, right for you to be wrong. And you don't have to be, you know, kind of right for me to be, you know, wrong. And it's, we're all right. And we're all just trying to figure it out, unwind, you know, we have to unwind our relationships. And we're dealing with very small scale family run businesses locally on the ground, a lot of individual people, small entrepreneurial social enterprise businesses. And, you know, and for us to get money back is going to be tough. So we're, you know, trying to unravel all that and come to a solution, a conclusion that everyone is happy with. And so we, and that we also have a, a healthy travel industry on the other side of this. It's interesting insight that the circular nature, as you described it, of the travel industry and the way the all the different players, whether it's a hotel or a tour operator or an airline, they're all interconnected in this way. The World Travel and Tourism Council has estimated the global tourism industry in 2019 was worth about $8 trillion directly and indirectly through all these types of players. What are some of the short-term hits and how much of a short-term hit, I guess, do you think the travel industry is going to take this year? Oh, it's 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 huge. I mean, I mean, it's just such an unprecedented time. It's it's depending on how long it goes. Like if it, it's going to go six months, if 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 the impact is eight point eight million, it's half that. I mean, travel is literally in terms of the tourist side, the tourism side. Travel for business will bounce back a little bit, and, and there's a little bit going on, but it'll be a, a vast majority of those, those tourism dollars will be gone, will be missing from the economy, and it's the, the, and there's a huge impact for that on on various levels. I mean, for us as businesses, for sure. I mean, we're all going to feel it, and all of us as businesses are, you know, finding ways and how we're going to fund our own hibernation to come out stronger on the other side, but. There's a whole other uh, impact that doesn't get studies, and that's the amount of industries and people's jobs. And you know, one in ten jobs is in the tourism industry, and that's just uh, you know kind of on the mainstream side. But all of these other suppliers, hotel owners, you know, streetcar vendors, restaurants, bars, just all these other businesses that support tourism to make these great experiences for people around the world have just shut down, and it's going to impact them. And, and that's not it's not measurable at this stage. We're talking about this as though it's a sure thing that the travel industry will kick back up again. Do you think or what do you think it will take for people to get on planes and go on some of these more adventurous trips after this lockdown and this really unprecedented, weird time where we're all really tied close to home? 
Um, I think it'll be, there'll be early adopters. I think we're going to see people that are going to want to travel as soon as possible. And those are people that A, have priorities, that travel's a priority priority in their lives, that they want to travel immediately. And there's going to be people that, you know, want to be the first in kind of, you know, and those are the people that line up for, you know, a week to get an iPhone when it comes out. (laughs) And then... And then there's going to be people that are, want to take advantage of the fact that, you know, travel is going to be slow on the other side and you won't have to line up for hours to get into the pyramids of Egypt or there won't be crowds at Taj Mahal or the Great Wall of China. That's going to be an incentive for a lot of people to travel again. But it will be a slow, there'll be a, a short term and a midterm kind of build back of the industry. And then there's a long term. And, and then in between that, there's going to, there, hopefully there'll be a vaccine found. And how long will it take to immunize the world is the next question. But all of these factors will play into how many people come back. So I think it'll be like there's, there's a small group of people that will be the early adopters and we will get people off traveling before the end of this calendar year that would want you know, to be the first in and to benefit from having not, not having crowds to some of the iconic destinations like Machu Picchu around the world. But before we get to any level of, you know, of, of people traveling and being comfortable, I think it's, it's, it's next year. I think it's the, the, the idea that, the, you know, I think there's supposed to be, they're saying there's 112 teams now researching actively um, trying to find a vaccine. So there's a race. And once I think one is announced, regardless of how fast, you know, the world gets immunized, it, it'll, be a, a, it'll be enough of a reassurance that people start traveling early next year, uh, more so in the spring. And, you know, but it's a, it's, it's a much longer haul than we anticipated. But that's kind of the estimates that we're making right now at G Adventures with the information I have today, um, it's been a very it's been a very good week for travel, though. So I'm actually very positive and feeling very good about things this week. You know, you catch me on a different day, and I and I read some kind of report or something, and I'm not as as hopeful. But it's been a very good week this week. It does change every day. It seems. I want to talk to you a bit about what the travel industry might look like after the recovery. You alluded to it with your comments about it's a good time to visit the pyramids because no one's going to be there. I think there was a um, sort of a backlash almost against massive travel slightly before the pandemic. Uh, There's been a an increase in the ability to travel, frankly, because it's gotten a lot cheaper than it used to be. More than a billion people were taking trips around the world. And some people were getting concerned about the environmental impacts of flying and of over-tourism that sort of overrun crowded places like Venice or closer to home, even in places like Lake Louise and Alberta. People, when we're talking about getting back to normal, should this be the goal, getting back to what it was before? No, actually, and I think that's a very controversial opinion. But I'm I I don't know why we'd want to fight to go back to normal um, in our industry, anyways. Because I think the travel industry was heading down a very dangerous road, and it's you know I've been we've been doing what we've been doing for thirty years, and I've been kind of on as, as many stages as I can around the world saying the same thing, and it's and it's been controversial. But no, I I, I don't think we should be fighting to return to that. We have an opportunity as an industry to rethink and restart. And we should take that opportunity. What should that look like? Well, I think first thing is we should uh, appeal to customers and create purpose in how they travel instead of um, selling amenities, instead of um, commoditizing travel into cruise ships and capacity and compound resorts and selling people on amenities of Broadway shows, six different restaurants to choose food that's not local, by the way, and indoor zip lining, indoor surfing, um, whatever it is that, you know, selling amenities over destinations where we've gotten to a stage where people, the destination is irrelevant to when people make vacation holidays. And, you know, at G Adventures, we've ever thought that's the most counterintuitive and complete opposite thing of what travel should be. 
if we can, if, if anything comes out of this pandemic and people realize how connected we are as a planet and a small group of people come back and people get more connected to the destination they're going, um, that will be a huge, it'll create a huge impact and change the landscape of our industry. Because we were headed down a path where the destination was completely irrelevant. You buy and, and, and tours and, and travel was a commodity in compound resorts or cruises or coach tours or whatever it is. And, you know, people didn't just wanted to know about the thread counts of their sheets or the fact that there's a swim up pool bar and, you know, that you can eat Japanese or French the next day. And the destination was no longer important. I mean, it's interesting criticism. You know, if you go to an all-inclusive resort, truly, you've got better weather, but you could be anywhere, I suppose. How do you think people in the industry go about rebuilding the sector so people care more about the actual destination? You know, what sort of things need to be offered there? Or is that a niche market for adventure travelers? Well, I mean, for it to truly have an impact... Um, you have to be able to create business models where local people benefit. You have to have a dialogue with local communities where they benefit from tourists being in their, on their land. Um, so that, that's not what exists today. So, you know, governments sell off, you know, you know, coastal lands to foreign ownership and they build these compound resorts, but the, the local community isn't benefiting. And, and the only thing that's created is low wage jobs. Uh, as waiters in these in these facilities, and and so in order to to have real change, like business models have to change. I mean, it doesn't have to change a lot, but you know, we're our industry is pretty smart, and we have a lot of smart people. And if we wanted to stop leakage, where money leaks out of the country as opposed to staying in the economy, we could do it. Um, but the customer has to has to demand it first. And so as the customer becomes more aware and, and they start saying that they want to ask where their money's going, that will create, you know, operators like ourselves and other operators and hotels and transportation companies start starting to change how they, you know, how they approach customers, how they promote their products, how they create relationships on the ground, how they deal with governments, how governments deal with those companies when they get pressured to sell off land to build ports as a, or else they, they can't get tourism in there. Um, and also maybe take tourism out of the hands in, uh, and create tourist boards that don't aren't regulated by terms of politics where, uh, where, where uh, between elected officials. So there's a long-term strategy as opposed to a four-year pressure to deliver results of tourism growing as opposed to a, a tourism board or a tourism organization that can create long-term sustainable plans for that and not be pressured by delivering results within a four-year elected term. How much leakage is there in the industry now? It's You described it as money that doesn't actually stay in the country where you're spending or you think you're spending it as a tourist. Well, UNEP, the United Nations Environment Program, and this statistic is a bit old. At one point said only 5% you know, stays in the local economy of money spent. Um, and, and, you know, and that number was just adjusted to 90% at one point, that it's 90% is, is removed and only 10% stays in the economy when, you, when a tourism spends a dollar going into another country. And so this is a real issue, and this is the, an opportunity that we miss in the tourism industry, right? Because we have an opportunity to be a transformational industry because people are traveling to the poorest countries in the world. We're traveling to the most in need countries in the world, paying for luxury holidays, but that money isn't staying in the economy. With just a, you know, a little shift in you know, how we do things, we can be a transformational industry that you know, changes people's lives. And you know, that's what we've been proving, trying to prove at G Adventures for 30 years. When things get back to, I'm not going to say normal, but 
back to a place where people are traveling. What's the one biggest change you hope to make in your own company to kind of shift that conversation and shift how the tourism sector operates? For, for me, it's about people getting connected to destinations. I have to go back to that. I mean, people have to have a reason for why they want to travel. When you decide you want to go on vacation, it's not, I, I know it's because you're tired or you work hard and you just want a, you know, a, a restful holiday and that's super important. But you have extreme power and privilege when you decide you want to travel in the Western world and you're traveling to a developed country or one of the, you know, some of the poorest countries in the world. And so, and there's no need to feel guilty about it. I mean, that's not what the, what the, thing, the, the idea is, but you've got to ask questions and understand that power and privilege that you have. And the first thing that you should do is be connected to the destination because the original idea of tourism and travel was to expose people to other countries, to other cultures, to have that cultural exchange. And it wasn't just to make you feel as comfortable as possible so you felt like you never left home. Because then that's what's happening right now where, you know, I have people saying, well, I won't travel anywhere where there isn't an Oman hotel. Well, okay. I mean, why not, why not have a purpose on why you want to see that country? And, you know, there's so many beautiful countries in the world and, you know, connect to the destination, connect to why you want to see that culture because it it can reward you when you come home. Because when you come back from vacation, you should have a better understanding of where you come from and a greater appreciation for your community and a greater appreciation for where you sit in the universe once you start seeing how other people, other cultures live in the world. That's the transformational benefit of tourism. And you can create that transformation on the ground with local people benefiting if you just make the right choices. And so, so that's a long answer to your question. But my hope is that people just connect to destinations because it's just not happening with the way tourism is going where people are shopping for amenities. They're shopping for distractions. They're shopping for Broadway shows or indoors, you know, zip lining or carousels or surfing or, you know, uh, recently a cruise ship launched that they have an indoor go-kart track on their ship because for some reason you cannot go on vacation and give up your dedicated go-kart track schedule. (laughs) I mean, I I personally need at least one go-kart track at every destination I go to. Um, one last question for you. When flying resumes, when this lockdown is over, what's the first place you're going to go? I'm, I am J- Japan. So I'm planning to get to Japan. I'm planning it right now. I just need some flights to get up in the air to get me to Japan because I'm ready to go. <laughs> and, and, and Italy. So I want to still go to Italy and Japan this summer. And so I'm, uh, th- that's, that's my goal. If, I can get, if, I, if we can get the planes up in the air, I'm, I'm gone. Hey, I like to see that optimism. Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Bruce Poontip, founder of G Adventures. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Down to Business. This is actually my last episode as host before going on maternity leave. So I want to say an extra thank you to all those who have listened over the past year and to the team that puts this together. Music and production by Bryce Hall, editing by Yadula Hussain, and web support by Pamela Heaven. The pod is not going anywhere, though. My colleague Gabe Friedman will host the podcast while I'm away, so it's in great hands. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next time, you can get all your business news at financialpost.com. 